Welcome to Inkwell, a podcast from Houston, Texas, for anyone engaged in the world of reading and writing. Inkwell is brought to you by Tintero Projects, which showcases the work of national and international Latinx and Latin American writers through readings and workshops, and Inprint, a literary arts nonprofit which, since 1983, conducts readings, workshops, and other programs to promote creative writing and reading and supports writers. Inkwell hosts Jasmine and Lupe Mendez, writers, educators, activists, and founders of Tintero Projects, will interview emerging and established writers from across the United States with energy, wit, and fresh perspective on what it means to ink well in this day and age. And welcome to another amazing edition of Inkwell. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Lupe Mendez, and to my right, the spectacular, amazing... Isis Fernandez. Yeah! <laughs> so, uh, if you're wondering where my regular co-host is... Uh, you're wonderful. Wonderful, amazing... Radiant. Radiant co-host. She's not here. Um, at the moment. At the moment. Because they're like switching gears. Right. Right? And right. so, uh, but so with us for this particular show, uh, we have author... Uh, actress, uh, amazing individual. Um, we get to interview uh, Jasmine Mendez, um, who will be talking about uh, her latest book. Um, and so, say hi, author. Hi, everyone. That's all you get to say now. That, that's it. <laughs> um, and so, uh, we're here at mm-hmm. the Imprint House. Um, this is a... Um, uh, high-rise hotel penthouse suite. Right. Uh, in we're, downtown Houston. Right. We're right next to the pool. Right next to the pool. Right. And uh, so for those of you that thinks that, you know, we're in a cottage somewhere in the Macho area of Houston. Lies. It's all lies. All of them. It's a huge hotel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, and for those of you that are wondering, who's that other voice? Uh, Isis Fernandez Rojas is a dear friend uh Fiction slash nonfiction slash poet, uh, writer uh, that lives here in the city of Houston. We are uh, old friends uh, and hermana in La Causa. We go back from like from the get down to the get Yo, up uh, like, with nuestra palabra from that years was before ago. we both had gray hairs. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> we have like full-on writing careers and stuff. Um, and so uh, she's done us the, the solid of switching places uh, to give us the opportunity to talk you to... You forgot to say I was a goddess. And you are a goddess. I am. Such a goddess. Let us put <laughs> that out moment. into the universe. Oh. And so uh, Isis <laughs> uh, gets to, to be co-host uh, while we get take a, a little bit of time to to interview Jasmine and switch gears on her, um, which is kind of cool because it's, it's like a different voice. And yeah, it is. And, and I kind of feel like I've got some big shoes to kind of sort of quasi fill for the day. <laughs> Because no. it's like your banter, you know, between you and Jasmine, it's just usually I just sit and like listen whenever you two guys talk. And I'm just like, <laughs> I feel like this time around, it's going to be really good because we're on the same wavelength like all the time uh-huh. and have very much that same like generational right. thing. So like our tastes and options on things are very similar. So this is this is more like a like like heavy hitter show versus our regular show is, is very balanced, like balanced opinions. This is not that <laughs> not particular balanced. show. This is ba- not balanced, but in a great way, this is like over sugar to get into the show. Um, uh, I think so. Normally what we do is we always have this 
quick conversation about like how do we uh, do certain things that are are part of the daily life kind of deal. Right. And then in terms of like how that links up to the writing life, right? Right. So I guess uh, in terms of, of uh, Jasmine's latest work, um, there's lots of different versions and conversations about uh, the jasmine flower. It's yes. one of the motifs that exist in the right. book. And one of the things that I constantly think of, like especially in reading through the book, was like this sense of like a refreshing take or a different take on a thing. Um, and so I thought of like lots of renewal and lots of, uh, how do you restart a thing, right? right? So like how, I guess like one of those things I look at is like, how do we as individuals do that in our daily lives, right? Like, so how do you take a situation that you're in and flip it or start over or hit reset or whatever you need to do, right? So how do you like, manage all those things. Oh, we're assuming that I have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you ain't got no choice. Um, And some, you know, sometimes it's just um, conscious, you know, you're just like, oh, this is a horrible day. I am going to take this moment. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to make the rest of this day as best as I possibly can make it. Right. Yeah. And then other times we're like, oh, this poem is awful. I think I'm just going to chunk it and restart. Right. Right, So it's like, you know, sometimes you just don't get a choice. Right. Right. And you just have to, Deal the cards that you're dealt, dealt, essentially. Right. I am constantly always trying to work on, like, self-care. I think that's the one thing I suck at, is I'll take care of everything else. Who's good at self-care? <laughs> there are some people who actually, like, do They're better. They're liars. At, right? They, yeah, right? They're <laughs> so liars. In that, like, I'm always having to kind of rethink or rehash, how can I make this week a week that I'm going to drink more water? Or walk a little more. Bless your heart. Water. <laughs> I know. Like time doesn't, you know, time Why? gets away from you. So I'm constantly always thinking, what are those ways that that um, I rehash an idea or try better on a thing? And it's always a, a constant like redevelopment of self. And so like, what does that look like on, on the day to day? But then also the writing life. You touched on that on the writing part. Like, right. I think sometimes that's a hard piece, especially like getting in the groove of writing and being mm-hmm. able to put that down on paper. I sometimes, I have to second guess myself because sometimes this is the ego, e- egoista side of me. I can write a poem or write a piece and I'll sit there and I look at it and I'm like, that actually sounded all right. Mm-hmm. And and I have to kind of trick myself into saying, if you really do feel that way, it probably needs a lot more work give it time. And right. sometimes I'm just like, nope, don't need to edit it. That's amazing. Close the book. Right. And then reality says, oh, double yeah, check. Right. And yeah. so like, I have to like do that. And I'm like, nope, second guess that, go back later and what that feel is. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's also like how you feel on your revision process, right? Because right, right. everybody has their own revision process. I know for a fact, like I have to like walk, you know, do it, walk away, do it, walk away many times before I feel that anybody could even see it. Like if you had to average that, what do you think? Twice, po- 10 times? Poem or narrative? Uh, either. If it's like a, a, a narrative or a chapter, um, it's going to take like. 10 times easy. before you get through easy before I, anybody sees it before I can say hey could you take a look at it tell me what you think yeah okay and then poem is just like Jasmine tell me it doesn't suck <laughs> 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 that's how that works and then Jasmine's just like no 
work on this. This is cliche. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm awful. Thank she you, mistress. You if things are cliche. Yes. Oh, I keep it real. No, she does. <laughs> you are not allowed to talk. You <laughs> Bam. Um, you will not silence me. <laughs> So, so I think that's interesting. Like in terms of like, I, I sometimes some poems just felt like, okay, great. This is a good thing. And then I'll let that thing sit. I'll go read something else. If I'm in the middle of like reworking a poem, I'll go back to that thing. Like a maniac four, five, six, seven times going back over line by line. I can throw up a poem fast and put out all those. Yes, you can. And then just like cut. Through. And it's annoying. <laughs> and I just, I cut through all the other, like, uh, Sasha Pimentel was, was, uh, a dear friend and an amazing mentor. And she was always constantly looking at like cut to the bone of a thing. Right. And so I think even a lot of the work that we're going to be looking at and having conversation with, with Jasmine about the book, like, how do you get to, to get, take away all the, the, the extra that, that doesn't fit in for what this is. And the fact that the book itself is this amazing opportunity for mixed genre. Like there's, there's such energy in the book. Like I, I can't. Well, she's it's just, really great at that. Oh, she's fantastic at it. And what's what's so great? I have to I have to don't blush. Um, don't I, look! Don't, don't look! look at us. Don't look at me! Don't close your eyes. Please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's just like, and it's just you know, it's 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 trying to be a master storyteller because we're all trying to be master storytellers. Yeah. And we're all trying to like hone our tools in our tool belt. Right. And this is a prime example. Do not look at me when I'm saying this, Jasmine. But this is a really prime example of a writer honing their tools in their tool belt right? and just saying, you know what, this moment, this is a poem moment, or this is like, or this is a short narrative, or this is a long essay, or this is this. And just knowing that instinctually, or even, even not instinctually, just saying, oh, I'm going to try it as a poem and that didn't work. You know, let's try it as this. Knowing, again, to like going back to our original, right? Right. Um, Knowing when to restart. And that's part of being a master storyteller. Like, you know, it's a characteristic of being a master storyteller, of knowing what tool to use at what time to tell what story. Palabra. Uh, I just dropped some major knowledge. Knowledge facts. Um, All the knowledge. So we're going to take a a quick, what did you say? What did you say that again? The more you know. Yeah. Is there a peacock? There's a peacock and the star. Josh, is there any way you can do that little sound? No, that's probably illegal. Is that illegal? I'm sort of copyright. It's trademark. Womp, womp. But Josh, for real, there's always sneaking in there. All right, so... Um, we're going to take a really quick pause yeah. uh, so that we can take a little breather. Uh, if you're sitting in traffic, you know, thanks for listening. If you're on a long road trip, thanks for not arguing. Uh, and pay attention to the road. And pay attention to the road. If you're sitting at your house and you're doing the laundry, that's real dope. Uh, thank you guys for right. for catching this latest episode. Um, and we'll be back and continue on with our interview Yay. of Jasmine Mendes. Jasmine Mendez, my beautiful, wonderful, luminant friend here, is an award-winning author, performance poet, actress, and educator. Mendez has performed her poetry in venues all around Houston, including the MFAH 
Rice and the Alley Theater. She has shared the stage with respected writers and poets, notably Sandra Cisneros and Natalie Diaz. Mendez has been published both nationally and internationally, and her first multi-genre memoir, Island of Dreams, from Folklorico Press, 2013, was awarded Best Young Adult Latino Focus Book by the International Latino Book Awards in 2015. What, what? She was also recently, she also recently won the COG Poetry Prize for her poems, Run, Irelia, Run, Bounty, and Return to Water. The judge, Major Jackson, described Jasmine as a poet who possesses a sense of the poem as sacraments and language hammered into song. One feels a passionate search for lineage and the sensuous turning of thoughts and imagery that leads to sanctuaries of silence and reverence. Her second book, Night Blooming Jasmine, Personal Essays and Poems from Arte Publico Press, is forthcoming in April 2018. Ladies and gentlemen, Jasmine Mendez. Hi, everyone. I'm on the other side of the table. It's so weird. How's it feel? It's really hard uh, to keep my mouth closed and not interject when y'all were talking and try to control <laughs> the conversation. Yeah, we kind of got a because feeling about that. I was like literally like <laughs> clenching my fists. And so, she was shaking her fists. Yeah. Us. Yeah. It's weird to be on this side. It's exciting though. Um, thank you. For, Yay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So um, we're going to, we have a series of interview questions as if you didn't know what the routine looks like. Don't I have to read a poem? See, this you is, this is to, me controlling uh, things. Yeah, that is. <laughs> So I, I was talking. So I was gonna before. So before we get to the questions, the biggest question is: Do you have something that you'd like to share with us to start off the interview? <laughs> do you see how that's question number one, Jasmine? I guess so. Yeah, I have two <laughs> short poems and then something longer for later. If you'll allow me to, no, do that. You get half a poem. I'm gonna ask ISIS. <laughs> hashtag patriarchy over here. I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I will allow it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Equal, the non-masculine show. <laughs> I Hashtag sisterhood list. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, this is like the week of like Beychella. I think we're allowed. Yo, Beychella. Like, Y'all yeah. gotta fill me in on Beychella because I've been busy great we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this is a longer conversation than yeah. it's on this podcast. Uh, Inkwell, the longer conversation about Beychella. This is this is Inkwell after the after, after, after hours. After hours. <laughs> Well, after dawn. Let me tell you how be after dark. Okay, moving forward. And 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 centering? Okay. <clears throat> Regroup. Oh, am I reading a poem now? <laughs> That's yes. how this work boots. Okay, okay, all right. So yes, I have two pieces. Um and I'll and I'll start um these are kind of from everywhere middle section of the book. Um and I'll, you know, the heavy pieces, I'll, I'll do this first round and the second second time around, I'll do something a little lighter. Um, this I wrote uh, a couple of years ago. Um, it was recently published in Gulf Coast, uh, made the round on the interwebs. It was like a pretty popular piece, which I wasn't expecting, but that's awesome. Um, and this is titled Dar a Luz. <clears throat> like La Llorona, I weep. I, I, I... I am infertile, a womb of skin and blood and bone stitched to wind and words and dust. I'm pregnant, La Comadre announces to me and the kitchen walls on the 4th of July. I feel light leave my body. I wipe my sticky watermelon hands on an apron and reach out to hug the ice chest. I lift its dead weight across the room near the only plant I've ever kept alive. 
I check its soil for moisture. My fingers curl into being beneath the dirt. Congratulations, I say. My necrotic tongue sticks to my teeth. La comadre listens for a pulse in my breathing. I muffle heartache on the inhale. Coke cans cackle, melted ice caps clap. I'm startled by a firework next door. I just wanted you to be the first to know. Snakes around us like amniotic fluid. I hide the evidence of envy in my tear ducts. I offer us a childproof smile. La comadre agrees. I linger in the space between, I'm glad you're okay, and are you all right? Sunlight in a stained glass window. Oh. Okay. Do one more, and are we moving on to questions? What, however, are you, hey, Isis, what do you want? You want to do another one? Let's do another one. Do another one. <laughs> one more. Uh, so that one was obviously about my struggles with infertility. Um, and this piece came about with uh, my struggles with heartburn and indigestion, which were really severe at one point to the point where I could, I was pretty much just drinking and sure and trying to live off of that. Um, but it's also just, you know, you'll see. Gluttony, undigested. I am never enough. The doctors swallow my face, their eyes like tar seeping through the cracks of city pavements. Skyscraper hospitals spoon my reflection into glass and pour me into the mouth of a waiting room. A surgeon orders a CAT scan to slice my heart, arms, legs into bite-sized bits and pieces. Medical machines gnaw at my breasts and my back, salivating on scars of skin. I stick two fingers down my throat. What is there left to give? A shadow lodged in the sternum, a reflux of regret, a hole in the trachea. I gag because it hurts, because I'm hollowed, because survival is not enough. Thank you. Yeah. Now that we're all sad. Now that we're all sad. Let us breathe through. Yeah, yo. Oh. Um, I, you know, I like, I live with right. all this work and it's still like earth shattering on an everyday basis. Right. Um, so, okay. You want to throw a question or I got a question? Um, What's easier? Whatever. I mean, I'm just a guest. Okay. So. Well, no, I'm this- the guest. You decide. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Decide. Reclaiming my time. Okay. <laughs> oh, she's wearing the. Oh, yeah, she's wearing the. Thanks to Claire Massey. Yay. Yay. Okay. Shout out, Claire. All right. So, um, I kind of you were you read like one of my favorite pieces in the collection, which was the first one. Oh, it's so. Let me breathe through it. Okay. So, I want to talk about, um, how we talk about loss and how we talk about it in different levels. And could you talk a little bit about how writing helped you to deal with those losses? Hmm. We don't have three hours, so I'm going to try to condense this. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Legit. Try to condense Step this. one. Um, yeah. No, I think that, um, I, you know, I've, always, I've talked to Lupe a lot about this and just kind of 
thought about it on my own in a lot of ways. Um, cause I, I feel like I've been, I've been dealing with, with so many different losses since I was first diagnosed in 2007. So over 10 years now. Um, and each time you think that like you've grieved it and you moved on, it's like, there's another diagnosis or something else that you realize you have to grieve that you didn't know that you had lost. And then someone makes you aware of it or, um, you know, you realize you can't do the same things that you used to. And, um, in 2007, when I was first diagnosed, was when I started. The oldest essay in the book is from 2007. And so um, people ask you, like, oh, how long did it take you to write this book? I'm like, 10 years. Didn't mean I sat down on my computer and tried to write for 10 years. Right. But um, it it's what I turned to when, A, I realized that I could no longer do theater because theater and acting was my outlet um, back, in the, back in the day. Um, and I'd always written, I'd always written poetry and, and things like that and journaled a lot throughout my whole life. Um, and it just kind of, to be able to put what I was going through into words, whether or not somebody saw it or read it, um, was just cathartic. Um, and I hate to use the word therapeutic, but in a way it was at the time, um, because I just, I needed to put the energy somewhere. I needed to tell someone. Right. Um, and I needed to, to just say what I was feeling. Um, and I searched far and wide and high and low for books about chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Um, can barely find anything at the time, you know, back you in mean, 2007. You like, so like narratives? Yeah, like it was just like, I just- speaking on narratives right. about chronic illness. Well, just, yeah, or just even books by women about illness. Um, it was like non-existent, basically, at that point. The little bit that was out there, um, at least I wasn't aware of, of what was. And I just felt like there is a lack of this narrative, of this story. And so instead of waiting around for someone else to create it, I was like, I'm just, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write it. Um, And it was a project, this book particularly was a project that I came back to and left and came back to because it was like I was living it and writing it, right? right? And so it was like I'd lose something, you know, whether it was uh, amputated finger or the ability to breathe well or the ability to eat all the foods that I loved um, or this idea of like having a normal full-time job with benefits, like I would never work full-time again kind of a situation and so that I'd write about it. And so I just kind of like would write as I experienced these different losses. Um, and many of the essays in, in the book came from like my blog, um, because that was like the only way, the only outlet that I had at the time to like put the words out there and to say, this is what's going on. Um, so just like for some, and it's dawning on me right now, like, um, for those of our listeners that are out there, like people who are picking up the podcast, um, there are people who coming, going to come into the book that don't know exactly what you're, uh, diagnosed with. So could you very yeah. quickly, yeah. Not that it's <laughs> quickly. Like a quick do we have thing. another three hours? No, right. go through right. my, my medical history. Go through the list. Um, yeah. Very, yeah. Very briefly. This is the summary, uh, the condensed summary. 2007, I was diagnosed, uh, with scleroderma, scleroderma, sclero meaning thick, derma meaning skin. So basically what happens is my body, uh, produces, overproduces collagen on organs, um, and the skin is an organ. It is the largest organ on our body. And so it produced an excess amount of collagen on my skin. And basically, like when you cut yourself, your body produces scar tissue. Mm-hmm. Mine was doing that without any sort of cutting or slicing or bruising all over uh, my skin, as well as some uh, internal organs, but not too bad for me. Um, then in 2011, well, 2012, after a, a miscarriage, uh, I was diagnosed with lupus and that did affect my internal organs. I had fluid around my heart, my lungs, ended up with inflammation of the kidneys, um, mouth sores in my mouth, which made it very difficult to eat. 
um, lots of indigestion issues caused by the scleroderma, not the lupus. And, um, and I was also intermittently in there. I was diagnosed with infertility, hypothyroidism, hypertension, and, um, and scleroderma has, has, a, has a symptom called Raynaud's, which turns the tips of your fingers and toes white and blue and purple when, they don't, um, when they're really cold. And so that led to two partial finger amputations on my right hand because um, there was not enough blood flow, flow, caused ulcers, gangrene, amputation. All of that's in the book. Lots of joy <laughs> in there to read. Um, so that's, that's basically the brief history of all of that. So it's been 10 years of multiple diagnoses. Um, I'm finally in a place that I might call remission, but my doctors don't call it that yet. They're very leery of saying I'm in remission, um, but I'm very stable, thankfully, right now. Yay! So, okay. Um, so we kind of talked about like the, the idea of like, what are the things that were lost? Um, uh, looking at things that are either gained or remaining, um, lyrically, right. As you're writing the Mm -hmm. book and like all the elements that still, that, that are a part of how you've written, um, what elements have stayed say between your first book, Island Mm -hmm. of Dreams, and then what came up, um, and Night Blooming Jasmine. Hmm. So lyrically, so it threw me off. I was like, oh, that's the fancy MFA word. I just still don't know what it means. Um, <laughs> the sound of words. No, I know. I get it. I get it. I um, laugh because it's true. It's <laughs> <laughs> throw these words out, right. but it's just like, why? what are you saying? Um, no, I know what you're I'm saying. Sorry. I know what you're I saying. Just, I just I feel like some, like sometimes I'm not people use no them questions. to sound like, you know, some kind of way. Um what have I, what has stayed from, yeah, I guess, like the first book to the second what book? What are some things that, that haven't, that you felt like, even with all the, the, the ups and downs, the, those currents mm-hmm. uh, in personal life and, and health, what are those pieces that have still stayed true within the writing? Say in the, the stuff that you created that became part of the first book and that the things that, that existed, that exist now in the second book. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, when it comes to when it comes to like basic sort of like craft stuff, if you will, um, or technically speaking, um, I don't shy away from my bilingualism. I don't shy away from using Spanish, um, and and the language is actually a big sort of like motif or trope in in this book um, with regard to the loss of language and um, the all the languages that that I've had or the language the medical language that I've had to learn sort of taking over and usurping right my Spanish language, um, and so I, I don't shy away from you know my mom's dialogue being in Spanish for most of the book right, right. Um, and that kind of a thing. Um, it's also multi genre like my first book was, mm-hmm. I thought that I was going to get away from that. And that did, <laughs> that did not happen. In my mind, this is going to be straight essay or memoir. Um, but that's not how the writing came. Like Isis mentioned in the beginning, like there are different ways to tell the story. And for me, some moments um, just required poetry and not um, essay or creative nonfiction sort of pieces. And then other essays required and, you know, other, other pieces, yeah, required that I tell this story completely, you know? Um, and there was so much that I also, in my mind, craft-wise didn't want to exhaust my reader with like, and then I got this and here's a whole essay about this diagnosis and this symptom. Like I could have written a whole five page essay on mouth sores and how terrible that time was and how I lost 30 pounds and like all these things. But I, instead I condensed it to like a block poem right. with gaps. Um, 
same thing with like the diagnosis of lupus and all that. It's a one page poem versus an entire chapter in the book. Um, was that right or wrong? I don't know, but that's just the way it came out and how I felt like I wanted to break up kind of the narrative, um, and the experience of what I went through. And I also kind of wanted, I did want it to feel chaotic. So I think that was something that's slightly different, um, that I didn't keep was this idea that the multi-genre helped for me in my mind relay this, this chaoticness that was those 10 years of chronic illness. Like one minute you're reading an essay, the next minute you're reading a poem. And like, that was my life. It was like back and forth one minute. I'm fine. The next day I'm not like all these like ups and downs and highs and lows. Um, and so I think that's a, a cool quality too in the book. Right. The, uh, it's a different read for me because obviously I'm a little connected to what, what, <laughs> what, what's connected. in the book. Perhaps a little bit. Tad. but, but was there sometimes. <laughs> but looking, uh, looking at, at like, I, like, I love narratives where not, it's not linear. So you're right. getting it in like completely different time frames. Like you're not only shifting in what these things are that affect body, but then like emotionally as well. Like you're reading through different uh timescapes of like things that exist. So I think that's is that something that that also shifted between the last book and, and this book? Yeah. I mean I think neither of them are necessarily linear. Um and the first book is much more um I don't want to say hodgepodge, but it's, it's like lots of little snippets and poems and things about, you know, coming of age type stuff. Um, and, and in this one, uh, originally I was like very much like, I don't want a linear book. I don't want it. And then in some ways I was like, oh, it's got to kind of be linear. <laughs> and so and it, so it is, but then it became, it became thematic and linear so that, uh-huh. the, you know, the, the book is broken up into, into sections, about five sections um, that are more thematic than they are necessarily linear. Um, but I did try to follow some, some kind of a trajectory. Um, but that was also because my memories, and <laughs> Lupin knows this, of those time periods is like so bad. I mean, it was the medication, it was the brain fog, it was all of that. And so then like to try to even make sense of like what happened when and where was like half the time impossible. I was like, wait, did, was my lungs messed up first or my kidneys? When was the finger thing? What year was that? To try to like even just trace that back in my own mind was like, this is a shit show. Like <laughs> that's its own project right I, yeah, there. That's a whole nother thing. So, um, you know, I just, I was like, I'm just going to embrace the chaos that this was and see what happens. And the book that is coming out in print is nothing of what it was in 2007. Hell, nothing of what it was mm, six months ago. <laughs> because so much, I mean, it just kept evolving in ways, even like with edits from the publisher and things like that. And it's great. I mean, like, I'm glad that they saw things that I wasn't seeing and we were able to like remove things, right? And put new things in and switch things around. And, um, and then, you know, that's what happens when you, when you write a book, but, um, a lot of times it reveals itself to you as you're writing or working on it. And I definitely think that's what happened to me because a lot of these things were not intended to be in there and then they showed up. And so it is what yeah, it is. It is what it is. Right. You know? Yeah. You know what's so interesting? I was talking to you about this yeah. yesterday. Is that I met you and we became friends after all this happened. Ish. Oh, ish. Yeah. 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 After all yeah. the, you know, after you well, were diagnosed. When we went to the retreat, I was going through some stuff. And you that were. Was, that was a low. That was a low. <laughs> that was but a low. like the big stuff, yeah. like being diagnosed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. First, yeah. second, third, fourth, and fifth. Yeah. You know, that was before we even met. Yeah. So like, a, like the first part of this was like, oh, I'm reading my friend's diary. <laughs> it really was. It's just like, I'm getting to meet Jasmine who she was. Mm. And like, I don't know that woman. Like, mm. I know the woman I know now, 
what's up girl hey. right but I don't I didn't know you before then so what was interesting is that it was like it was like reading a diary and what was refreshing is that those moments were like oh, or the time that I didn't know you you approach that not with like nostalgia in your head like mm. oh I remember the time where I didn't have to need help to do this and mm. da, 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 da. you just approached it like it was what it was and it and it sucked not being independent anymore and it is what it is and <laughs> yeah. it was refreshing so how did you handle that I mean I think for memoirists it's like it's really easy to slip into nostalgia and like oh the time of this but mm. you, you didn't at first because I think I didn't really have time in my life to do that. And what I mean by that is, um, I got diagnosed at 22. I had only lived 22 years of life, most of which was a child's life and high school. And like, I was so over and done with high school. I was like, I'm gonna leave that in the past. Like, I didn't want to go back to that. No, I mean, I don't, unless you, that was your prime, unless, unless you peaked in high school, most people don't want to go back to high school. Their life really begins after. And they're like excited about journeying into the world. I mean, I, and my book says it, like I was diagnosed the day before I graduated college. Like literally I, I, I was diagnosed on a Friday. i graduated college on a Saturday and that next Saturday. And I was just like, oh, my life was supposed to begin, but now I don't know what this means. Can I even get a job? So for me to have sat and been like, oh, woe is me. Like the life that I had, I ain't had no full-time job before. I ain't have no kids. I had never bought a house. I had never seen the world. I didn't, I hadn't done anything to be nostalgic about necessarily. Nice. Yeah. Right. And so it was like, this is like, I mourn the loss of what I thought my life was going to be, right. but like, I wasn't going to mourn like my childhood. Like, I mean, everybody kind of does, I guess, but like, no, you know, so I I didn't have time. Like I had, I wasn't old enough to have mourned this adult life because I never had it. Right. I was diagnosed right at the, uh, you know, very early on in my adulthood. And so I spent my twenties, which was supposed to be the best times of your life, (laughs) like in and out of the hospital. Um, and so I just had to get I had to get to that point of acceptance with each loss and with each diagnosis fairly quickly because I was like I, ha- I have to live in this body like I have the rest of my life 50 60 maybe 70 years right. I don't know 70 but right to like to live and deal <laughs> with this and so I had I had got to get with the program quickly right. you know I don't have time to sit in nostalgia So do you feel like part of part of the work that that's become Night Blooming Jasmine now is is there a sense of like I don't know if like because of the idea of how the jasmine exists within the book, like all the different versions of a jasmine flower, Mm -hmm. is there a sense of, I don't know, like a a renewal in terms of like going forward within the book? Like it's sectioned specifically in ways that like those different flowers exist. And so like versions or perspectives of what life was, you know, prior to diagnosis, then the diagnosis, and then how living through diagnosis, like, are all those perspectives, was that purposeful or did that, was that subconscious? Like, how did... Yeah, so the, so the, I think what you're talking about is just, like, how the book is divided, right? And, like, in in the different types of jasmine flowers. And that actually came off, like, that was originally just one essay. So I wrote this one essay uh, based off of Lupe's prompt about your name. um, It's usually a prompt that you do for for poetry, but for me it was a creative nonfiction essay. And um, 
I did it for my MFA program and I, I had like, it was this sort of braided essay about all the different names that I've been called in the different, you know, um, and, and I, I, that essay I broke up because I, I, I broke it into sections of the types of jasmine flowers. I did all this research on types of jasmine flowers, picked some of the ones that were most interesting to me and that I thought like related well to my story. And then, um, and then randomly you and I were sitting in the car on the way back from Galveston visiting your parents, Lupe. And I just like came to me. I was like, cause, cause you know, my professors really liked the essay, but they were like, oh, I could do this. It could do that. You could move this. You could move that. And I was like, that's how the book is going to be structured. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to rip this essay apart. Like the, the name essay isn't even in the book. Like it's right. just all over the place within the book itself. And, um, and I realized that that was going to be the structure of the essay, this idea of this, of, of Jasmine and the types of Jasmine, um, because, because I, in my, you know, in my mind, my identity is so multifaceted, multi-layered. There's so much going on, um, just as there are so many types of Jasmine flowers. Like the more I learned about the Jasmine flower and the history of how it was like, you know, uh, uh, I want to say migrated, but I guess that's, I don't know. I was moved from like its original homeland and dispersed all over the world and it grows wildly and it blooms at night. Like all of those things just like fit so perfectly with the narrative and the arc and the experiences that I had. Um, and so it kind of, it just, you know, like I was saying earlier, like it revealed itself to me, like just in a moment of like, oh, um, cause like I said, this book has taken so many forms <laughs> before it ever became this sort of Jasmine, like right. go flowing with my name, you know, in the flower and all of that kind of thing. So the book appears when the writer is ready. <laughs> yeah. you know? I know, prophetic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Right? That's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's my turn. You okay. can, yeah. So um I want to talk about identity because like we share an identity, my friend. We do. Um, so I want to talk about how identity fuels your writing process. Which one of my identities? Pick one. There's so many. <laughs> um, let's start with the Afro-Latino one because that's my favorite. <laughs> what do you mean like fuels? Like just gets me writing or right. why it's gets in you, there? Gets you writing or does it inspire you? Or how does it inspire you? How does it Man, show up? I think that like all my identities are just so um, not the common one. <laughs> And that's what what fuels me, right? So, like, um, the first book is all about being Afro-Latina and, you know, being a military brat and not really having roots, which is, like, my favorite song right now. There's that song about, like, under my roots. No, no, no. Okay. Anyway. Um, (laughs) I like that root song. I have no roots. Okay. You did not tell me that she would be singing. (laughs) I I did not sign up for this. You think I signed up for this? (laughs) No. You think I... I did making you do it all over again. That's awesome. <laughs> I have no roots. No, no, no. I don't know the rest of the words. She's going to sing. I only know it when it's on the radio. Ladies and okay. gentlemen, for the record, okay. she's going to be singing this in the shower uh, for the next two weeks. I love that song. That one time that you told me about that, um, that Missy Elliott song, and you're like, pep rally. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. What song is here we go. Josh, can you throw like a snippet of that song that we tell you? So, identity. Back to the top of your head. No. Um, yeah, I feel, if so the, the first book, uh, you know, Military Brad, I'm a Dominican who's not from Washington Heights, like all of these things. It's like this bizarre, I always call myself a, a unicorn. Um especially here in Texas. And so, um, it fuels my writing because it's, it's like the stories that I want to elevate because they're not being told. They're not being listened to. It's not that we're voiceless. It's that people just aren't listening. Right. Um, and so when chronic illness became so much a part of my identity, I was like, 
I have to write about this. Like I have to tell these stories. Cause I, w- I was finding eventually, I was eventually finding like, you know, about 2011, 2012, 2013, there was like this huge, like blogger thing that happened mm. in the, you know, early mid two thousands and blogs were popping up everywhere and books were being written based on the blogs and all these things. And so more chronic illness type stuff uh, started happening and there were community boards and online support groups and all these things. So I started finding books about chronic illness, but they were all by white women, white women, white people. Um, there was, there was very little, almost nothing uh, by women of color. Right related to chronic illness. Um, and I think that's a cultural thing as well. We're just, we don't talk about illness. We're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to push through, you know, like, like strong black female myth, the Latina, strong Latina myth, like all of these things of, that we're just supposed to persevere or right. rezar a Papa Dios and it'll be fine. And I, I pray to Papa Dios, but <laughs> like I needed something else. I needed more. And so, um, taking on these various sort of identities and, and knowing that they're mine and then realizing that, these stories have to get out there um, is what keeps me writing. And, you know, just having those few people that come up to you after a reading or that reach out to you online and say, I read your book, it changed my life. Like, that's what keeps me going, knowing that, like, my story is also someone else's story. And so. Do you remember, like, your best, like, oh, you you know, I loved your story. It's my story, too. Like, do you remember your <sighs> okay. best one? Is there one? So the, the, it was one of the first times that it happened. I always go back to this because I like makes this before diagnosis, before everything. Um, it was in 2000, what, six, seven, when we did a reading at the Holocaust Museum. Oh, and it was the Latino yeah. community, the African-American community, and Jewish Holocaust survivors. Okay. Um, there were about 30 poets in that room. That was a dumb um, The Holocaust Museum was full to the max. Standing room only. Standing room only. I did one poem. I just did my one Dominicano soy poem. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I was like 20 one twenty-two at the time. Um, I was real young, whatnot, but uh, and then, yes, that is how long that poem has been around. Um, and so, oh, and, side note, not, just not to cut you off, but like no, that actual poem is like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, but like, it's like to shine you off. So like, uh, that actual poem is a portion of that is actually Remescla or Mitu did yeah, like a list of no, like, me too, me too. Yeah. Me did a list of like poets to look out for and like somebody yeah. took a recording at AWP <gasps> oh yeah that's right performing that yeah. piece, Latino so. poets for National Poetry Month so, so. but after that Sign reading out. yeah after that reading a young girl maybe 14 not even 15 years old young African-American girl came up to me stars in her eyes holding her her journal I guess her teacher had brought them there to go see the the performance and she's she just like stunned and she like almost didn't want to say and I was like hi and she's like what what you did, what I saw, oh my gosh, that that that's what I want to do when I grow up. Oh my god. And I was just like, oh my god. Did <laughs> like, you cry? Like almost. Like I you know it still gives me chills to this day because I'm just like, that's so beautiful, that's wonderful. And so that's like one of the times when I've been really just like, wow, that's amazing. Um but I mean, you know, anytime that um, a, a woman or a young girl. And I say that just only because that's who I connect readily with, but I have had men come up to me as well and, and say, you know, your story has been my story. But anytime a, a woman does, or like they come up to me and I have this poem about my mom in the first book that just makes everybody cry. <laughs> Even I cry. If she's in the room, I cry when I read that poem. Right. Um, and so many women have come up to me and just been like, that's exactly how I felt about my mom or my mom passed away and I didn't get to tell her things. And that poem expressed it so well. And um, so... Those are all beautiful, beautiful moments. Dopeness. You got another question? Yes, but um, do you have a question? Because I feel like I've been talking. No, you're no, good. no, no, go no, ahead. No, for real? People I hear a lot Yay! about it. I talk a lot. 
<laughs> Jasmine would cut off my mic if she had control. Josh, thanks for never giving her control of mics. Dopeness. Protein. Protein. Wow. <laughs> the patriarchy is real. The patriarchy is real. It's all good. Okay. So, um, yo. Okay. So, I'm going to use an MFA word. Go for it. Ready? I think bing, so. I don't bing. have my degree yet, but maybe I can I can answer this. It's called narrative. Oh, okay. Oh, dun dun dun. Okay, that. so like when we're talking about the narrative of this of of your book, haha, I even sound like an MFA person. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um we, you know, and you're talking about narrative and you're talking about character, especially like mm. anything that's written. You're talking about goal, motivation, and conflict, right? You're looking like, oh my God, they did not teach fiction. us this. And I was like, I do poetry. We talk about image. But, <laughs> oh, but it's but it's also in, in, in written memoir. So we know what your goals are. And we know what your conflict is. But what's the motivation? What is the motivation for Jasmine, the character in this book? It's a deep question, right? These are deep. I know, right? Dun, 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 dun. I didn't even see myself as a character. Oh. That's bad, bad thank writer, you, Jasmine. Thank um, you, University of Houston, for my communications degree. <laughs> No, I, I think that the, so yeah, it comes, it comes pretty early on too. And I think that the motivation for, for Jasmine, the character, for the I in the book, um, is it's mentioned early on. It's not why me, but what now? Mm. Um, so now that I have these diagnoses, what, what is there to do? You know, not, you know, you could spend with any illness, with any loss. Why did it happen to me? Like that, I ain't going to get you nowhere. I'm sorry. I'm not y'all's therapist. Those of you that are listening, but why me is not going to get you nowhere. So move on, <laughs> move forward. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome forward. to Equal, the not therapy session. <laughs> the not therapy session. <laughs> Jasmine said. No, you know, it's what now, how do I move forward, you know, in this existence? Um, and I think that she struggles with that um, frequently and, um, you know, it's easy to sink into the why me, but um, my doctor one time was like, you shouldn't be asking yourself why me? You should be asking yourself why not me? And I'm like, that's just as dumb in my opinion. Like, <laughs> no, like why yes. not me? Because I'm amazing. So it shouldn't be me, but it is me. So now what am I going to do? Oh right. my right. gosh. Right. Um, it's just why she's my friend. It's the gentleman like, right here. That, I was like, <laughs> that's why she's my friend. asinine response. I was like, I'm sorry. Can you just give me my medication? Bye. You, whatever. Um, I got a life to live. I got to so put like, this together. Like, like this is a stop. Well, that's also like the, the reality of, 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 you know, those moments in which like, you know, and, and shifting not to talk about just the body, but like anybody who goes through a heavy crisis, like you lose your house, you have a divorce, a forest fire, the hurricane, like any of those things, like, you know, you've got these choices that right. need to be made. And so I think those are very solid, like practical, like, you know, what's that next thing that needs to be occurring so that you can continue on mm -hmm. whatever that next step is. Because right? life will move with or without you. Yeah. So you got to yeah, yeah. make a choice. Oh, here we go. Therapy section. Okay. <laughs> no therapy section. This is not happening. <laughs> no. Okay. So then I think I'll, I'll wrap up with like the final question and then we can get you to read okay. uh, this next thing. Um, um, the, a friend of, uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, shout out to, uh, Doctora Reina Leon, mm -hmm. uh, Love her. Out in California. She's doing amazing work. Um, fellow writer, uh, Macondista, Canto Mundista, um, has spoken before eloquently, like, She's got an old soul, and I love Reina to death. But Reina has spoken before about not only the fact that we're like we carry generational trauma, right? And I will quote this as I she was too. the one that said it: um, the idea of of 
uh, generational joy, right? Mm-hmm. And so what what parts of joy uh, exist in your writing today and the the joy that exists in this book? Yeah, such hard questions. Um, <laughs> I, like, I haven't eaten enough food for this today. No. Um, yeah, I think it was a struggle to find the generational, to find the joy. Um, but I, you know, I definitely wanted that. And I, and I, you know, tried to create that within this book. Um, the current work, it's been much more difficult. Um, I'm writing about the Haitian massacre of 1937 in the DR. Um, so that's, that's proving a little more challenging. But um I think that it's important to me um, to to find the joy in the, the small, the little things. There's a lot of food <laughs> motifs that happen in the book, and those are one of the few places um, that I was able to kind of elevate the joy. You know, there's a lot of arroz con pollo, a lot of my mom cooking, a lot of like eating when I could, and I found joy in that and being able to eat and peel that mango and have the juices dripping down, you know, my arm. Um, there was, there's a lot of, there's references to music and still being able to listen and dance to and sing to the music and finding that joy and keeping keeping that with, within me, um, you know, to hang on to, um, because without it, like, Lord knows <laughs> what could have happened. But then there's also just the process of writing is, is, is so cathartic and can be so joyful. Even if you're writing about trauma, like I think it, for me, there's just like such fulfillment like a afterwards, like sorts. it's a release and just like, I'm creating art. Like this is a beautiful thing. Um, and to be able to share that experience and performance too. Like for me, it's a lot about not just writing the work, but like sharing it out loud with others and having that experience, that reciprocity with the audience, um, can just be so joyful. And I think that just trying to like always have that be a part of, of me and my experience and, and, and keeping that in mind, um, you know, as I write is, is how I move forward. Um, and I sleep and I'm actually, you could call me a liar, but I think I'm decent at self-care ISIS because I've had to be liar. (laughs) (laughs) Because chronic illness forces you to take care of yourself. Um, I will allow so, it. But I, I, not, there, I have ups and downs, right? It's yeah, kind of, right. Sometimes I'm good, sometimes I'm not good. But I plead the fifth <laughs> on all those statements. <laughs> His version of how I should take care of myself is different than how I take care of myself. And the patriarchy continues. It and it's not so much, and I will do this on a defensive posture, like patriarchy-wise, there are moments where like, I, the, the, the self-care that I think she should be able to enact brushes up against the, the, her sensibility of wanting to do as much as possible with the time that's present. And there are moments where I'm like, no, sit your ass down. You know, like, sit, and how well does that down. work for you? And there are, <laughs> that actually works. Cause there are moments. Sometimes it works. The, so there are times where I'm like, that's not going to happen. Or he'll be like, self-care is you like eating this home cooked meal. And I'm like, but comfort food me wants pizza. And he's like, that's going to give you indigestion. And you're not going to sleep tonight. And I'm like, I don't really care. This is what makes me feel good right now. So then I will say, well, <laughs> self-care me says, you're not having pizza because I need to sleep. You're getting a home-cooked meal. So that's not even self-care for me. That's just his own self-preservation. That's right. Because he knows he'll be up all night holding me if I'm up with indigestion. So what you're saying <laughs> is that your self-care for yourself... Is con- making sure that her self-care is Does not first. infringe on uh, your, your self-care? self-care? <laughs> no. Exactly. Comes, well, hers comes first before mine. I would rather like have to... 
tell her no for the long term of something that I know is going to be a difficult thing for her. Did y'all hear that? Tell me no. Like, like I'm his child. Hell. Tell me no. As if mm. I had to ask permission. Well, sometimes that's not about the permission. <laughs> that's just you knowing what's good for you, but then you wanted to do something else. Somehow this became the Lupe and Jasmine show again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is and this how I knew. We lasted this long. Though. We What did I say I would do if this happened? You were just going to be like, mm-hmm. eat the popcorn, watch the bow. I'm watching go. all the shade with all the, the tennis court. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So cool. Okay. So right. you're going to read a section. Yeah. Okay. So this very quickly, just a little context. This is one of the sort of mini, uh, like sub, it's a subsection within the essay skin score. Um, and it's sort of each subsection kind of traces some kind of a, a microaggression against me, the narrator, um, that I kind of in my mind pieced together is what led to the sort of these diseases manifesting in my body, right? We carry this trauma within our bodies that then manifests in diseases. Um, and so this particular one, I decided on this because we've had some things come up in the Houston theater scene related to <laughs> it got real dark in here right quick. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome right. to, to Inkwell where shade lives. Shade. I won't go into the details of that due to time. Uh, just but, go on Twitter. Um, yeah, you can go on Twitter. You can follow me and you can see it all there. And it's but, good shade. Um, just, this is, I'm doing this to show that I've been fighting these battles for a long time with regard to representation in the arts, um, Latinx representation, Afro-Latina representation, all of that just um, in the arts community. And so this section is about, you'll see, middle and high school. Middle and high school drama classes taught me how to handle rejection. I loved performing in plays and auditioning for them helped me learn how to accept the word no. I loved theater and performance and during those adolescent years, I used acting and drama to escape my own realities and teen angst. I immersed myself in every supporting and minor role I was given and always made sure to be the most memorable character on stage. I hissed and crawled along the stage when I played the part of Gollum in The Hobbit. I practiced my sultry walk and southern accent when I played a sassy secretary in the play Machinal. I was told by my teachers and my classmates that I was talented. I believed them because I kept getting cast in roles even if they were small ones. I knew I still had a lot to learn about acting and theater, but I believed I had some natural God-given talent. I kept auditioning for lead roles with the hope that my teachers would give me the opportunity to shine. I wanted the chance to show everyone what I could really do. But the fact of the matter was, in high school, my white theater teacher, Mrs. Bachman, only chose what me and the other black theater kids in class called pre-emancipation plays. These were plays that were written about or before the civil rights movement or, God forbid, before the end of slavery. Classic plays like The Importance of Being Earnest, Our Town, and Death of a Salesman. Plays where people of color didn't exist. Or worse, could only be cast as the help, the janitor, the busboy, or the nanny. Based on traditional casting methods, it was clear our teachers didn't believe in colorblind casting. But we didn't let their outright biases stop us. My classmates and I always auditioned for all the roles, no matter what. We memorized our one-minute audition monologues, came prepared and on time to callbacks, and outperformed almost all of our white classmates. Yet, to everyone else's surprise, not ours, our names were never listed for the leading roles, even though our teachers always assured us that we were some of the most talented students in the class. They'd always say we didn't fit the part. 
During the spring semester of my junior year, I summoned up the courage to confront our drama teacher, Mrs. Bachman, about what I felt was unfair and discriminatory. She was the head of the department and was usually in charge of selecting the plays for the season. I knew there was strength in numbers, so I asked my friends to join me when I spoke to her. I figured she couldn't possibly deny all of us what we were asking for, and she would have to consider our plea carefully. We approached Ms. Bachman one afternoon before rehearsal for our current show, Splendor in the Grass, a play set in the 1960s about a teenage couple in the Midwest. In this show, though I had auditioned for the lead, I was given the role of the teacher. I was in one scene and only had five lines. When I walked into the black box that afternoon, Mrs. Bachman was sitting center stage in her navy blue director's chair, legs crossed, flipping her hair with one hand, holding a number two pencil in the other, and scratching notes into the black binder on her lap. We walked up to her assertively, and I asked, would you consider directing an all-black play? We have the actors, the sets are simple, and the English teachers would love it. She raised her head slowly from the script and furrowed her perfectly arched eyebrows. I continued, we could totally do it. It could even be like in February for Black History Month or something. It would be great. It would be a lot of fun for all of us. (sighs) She took a deep breath and cocked her head to the side, her blonde hair falling into her eyes. Maybe, but like what kind of play are you thinking? I jumped right in because I was prepared for this question. We could do a classic like Fences or A Raisin in the Sun, something we could invite all the English classes to. I was practically hopping up and down at this point, and my classmates were egging me on, saying, yes, yeah, and "Mm mm-hmm. Mrs. Bachman closed her black notebook, stuck the number two pencil behind her ear, looked at the four of us, smiled wide with her bright red lips, tossed her hair to the side, and said quite plainly, But Jasmine, how would that make the other students feel? My body stiffened. The way she had said my name made me feel dirty. I didn't care how it would make the other students feel because I had been feeling that way for years. I decided I was done trying to prove myself to her or to anyone else. If she didn't want me to have a lead role on stage, that was her loss. I would find my own way to do theater. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Jasmine Mendez as she reads excerpts from her second book, Night Blooming Jasmine, Personal Essays and Poems. After this, we'll uh, do the lightning round. Lightning round. Lightning round. And Joss does that awesome sound thing. (laughs) And uh, then we'll do the thingy. You've been listening to Inkwell. Okay, we're back. And uh, lightning round questions. Yo, thank you for being such an thank awesome. Thank you. This was fun. Uh, it's weird. I don't on the even know side. who you are, but this has just been an amazing opportunity. Maybe you want to go out for coffee or something afterwards? No, I'm married. Oh, Thanks. Shucks. <laughs> so. <laughs> that was so awkward. <laughs> we actually we do that like a lot. Like he we'll does be, that a lot. And, and I'm just like, brush hey, you want to go get a drink or I something? You know what? That's a married couple thing. No, I'm kidding. What? Wow, TMI, guess. Welcome back to Inkwell. You know, like back to theater. Wow, uh, sessions. Uh, uh, After dark. After dark. Um, This is the lightning round. Uh, And in the lightning round, I'm going to explain the rules for both Isis and Jasmine. Uh, We will give you a series of questions. You will have up to 60 seconds to answer each of these questions. These these are the life-changing questions. This is what makes or breaks careers. 
Hopefully you have the right answer. This changes future. This I changes stop listening futures. at lightning round. Go ahead. What? <laughs> Man. Go. All right. Wow. So here he goes. Okay. Uh, we can both read each okay. one of these as right. we go through. So Can you read his handwriting? Because I usually can't. I will try my best. I, I, I do. You know what? I do teach college English, okay. so cool. I, don't, I have really good hand. I'm like I'm a teacher. I have really good handwriting. No, not all teachers have good handwriting. I have great handwriting. I have fantastic handwriting, but I was a journalist first, so things, things. Okay, cool. Okay. Here we go. So, question number one: uh, number of pages you can read in an hour? Uh, Thirty-five to forty. Oh gosh. Okay. Do like you read more? Would that give you a headache? No, I just choose not to. I don't. I had to learn it. Like I was an English lit major, so I had to get through like three books a week, like at least, and like not easy books, like thick old. What was the book you read? Old white people books. Caused you harm back then. Caused me harm. Yeah. Silas Marner. I wanted <laughs> to burn that book. I always thought it was Silas Mariner. Whatever. Marner. I didn't read the whole thing, and I hated it. <laughs> I was like, I don't I know what the hell that is. Hated it. Cool. Uh, okay. Uh, question two. Your computer crashes after having worked on a piece for two hours. First word out of your mouth is? Fuck. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that was appropriate, but. Yeah. Don't believe or that. Or coño. 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 <laughs> Maldita computadora. Yeah. Uh, question three. Would you rather attend a reading or be in a reading? These days, I'd rather attend a reading. Which is crazy because my book's about to come out. So we need to, <laughs> we need to get over that real quick. Um, it's just, well, because no, it, you, I mean, no, not, <laughs> no, because we've been organizing so many readings right. that now I'm just also like, I, I just want to have fun. I just yeah, want to I just want to show yeah. up and sit down and eat the crackers. There's crackers at readings? Well, there will be at mine. Oh. Can I eat some <laughs> nice. crackers? Sure. Wine oh, too? Wine, yes, oh. there will be wine. Oh, what? Yo, yes. Okay. I can't drink it. Oh. I'll drink it for both of us. This is a lot. Friendship. <laughs> she'll, she'll, do, she'll do the hard work. She'll drink the wine for me. Uh, I'll take one for the team. Okay. okay, your turn. A student and an older lady both begin engage, engaging you about your book. You have, ooh, look. you One copy. Oh, you have one copy. Student. Why are you still talking? <laughs> it goes to the student. That old lady acting like she ain't got money. <laughs> I'm going to need her to get it together. <laughs> I know you got a credit card. Girl. <laughs> Question number five. Uh, writing abroad or writing at home? Mm. What am I doing when I'm abroad? Nope. That wasn't part of the question. <laughs> um, well, I've never written. Well, no, I did write in the DR. That was, that was interesting. Uh, just like writing? 30 seconds. <laughs> I would say ah, this is so hard. I'm gonna say writing at home. Why? That's not fair because you didn't give That's me enough context question. to decide where where I was gonna be writing at. Comfort. This is like a comfort thing. I prefer writing at home because it's it's like in my space and I have my routine. Like mm-hmm. I have my stones, I have my Palo Santo, my incense, my yoga mat. I do the thing. I wash the dishes. You I check do my the, yoga. I meditate. You, I read. You check the stove every five, like five times. To make sure it's not on. Why don't, no, I'm not OCD like that. No, oh. I just wash the dishes. I mean, have you met her? <laughs> I don't know. This lady. I don't know this lady at all. I don't know what you're talking about. He's usually gone to work by the time I'm getting into my writing ritual at home, so he doesn't know what happens. I like he just comes you... home and he's like, "Why does it smell like like it smells like something in here? What is this?" And I'm like, "I like that you have a ritual. It's the only way. 
I have to, it's like, otherwise I can't, I'm just like, unless like, unless inspiration just strikes me like randomly, then I'll like get and I'll just start writing. But if I have like a day to write or have like my couple of days a week when I'm like, okay, morning time, writing time, I have to have my ritual. It gets me like my brain going. I don't have that, but we'll not talk about that. Next question. (sighs) Wow. That was so passive aggressive. Shade. (laughs) I didn't have that. Book book that you are currently reading. Um, I just finished Rigoberto Gonzalez's What Drowns the Flowers in Your Mouth. Okay. Brilliant. Beautiful. Uh, made me want to write, rewrite my entire book, but it's too late for that now. Um, and Whereas by, Sol- uh, no, no, by Lily Long Soldier. <clears throat> nice. Yeah. Uh, book you're trying, well, book you've tried to read repeatedly, but you can't and you put it down. The Brief Wonders Life of Oscar Wilde. How far do you Why get? Why do you hate me? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I get that book gave Christian. me life. No. What? So, <laughs> no. okay, well, why? What, how I get into a page about 35 and then I'm done. Okay. Why? It's such a bro book. Really? I mean, that's my only literary critique of it is that I just cannot. You are hurting me right now. The, the way that the story yeah. is told, I just cannot. Well, it is told by Junior and he is kind of a bro. Awkward. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and Julio Diaz is like, you know, homeboy. Don't mean right. But. Yo. Well, we won't talk about that right we'll now. We'll talk about we'll it. We'll talk about it later. Like. Uh, number eight. Oh, I'm doing in depth. Okay. Name four people you'd like to go on book tour with. <gasps> oh, my God. Obviously, one of them is not Juno Diaz. <laughs> or the guy who wrote Silas Mariner. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I think he's dead. Pretty sure that guy's dead. Um, oh, man. Okay. It would be an amazing, like, all-female tour. Okay. Elizabeth Acevedo. Ooh, yeah. And so only four. I get four people. Uh, four. Okay. Elizabeth Acevedo. One of them has to be a guy. No. No. Negative. Camille Dungy. Ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Lina Halatufaja. Mm-hmm. I get one more. Oh, I get one more. 30 seconds. Natalie Diaz. Ooh. Nice. Yes. I was going to go with Claire. Got it all over. Oh, mm, I've heard things about how she reads. Oh, we'll talk later. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she's fabulous. I haven't seen her personally read, but. Okay. Um, yeah. We'll I think. Did I say everybody I wanted? I think so. I think so. Joe, do those again. What are they again? Elizabeth Acevedo. Okay. Natalie Diaz. Okay. Who did I say? Oh, Camille Dungy. Mm-hmm. And Lina Halatufaja. Perfect. You got Native. You got. You got everybody. Muslim. You got. That would be a Dude, great lineup. It'd be so much fun. Oh my God, somebody make that happen. <laughs> I'm going to put it out in the universe. Universe, American. I need you to make this happen. Uh, question number nine. Theater or writing? Oh, writing. Writing for theater. <gasps> what? what? <laughs> it's not <laughs> even that question. That's uh, not what the question what said. What was the question? Theater or writing? You can't combine oh, them. Oh, writing. Writing. All day you, So you wouldn't, do th- you wouldn't do theater? It's too exhausting. I like physically can't. Rehearse for plays anymore, unless I'm like the director sitting in a chair. Oh, so that's <laughs> not cool. Cool. Okay. Um, <clears throat> number of times you've tried to get this book published and it was rejected. Y'all gonna hate me. What? Y'all are gonna hate me. Why? You know what? I know the answer to this. I don't know the answer to this. Zero. <laughs> Shut up. I was solicited for it. Yeah, she was. I remember. Yeah. Mm. Not This true. will be However. my last episode of this one. <laughs> However, here's what I will say. A very different version of this book, which was a, a it was a chapbook at the time of essays. I did submit to the Rose Medal Chapbook Prize, and I was a semifinalist. If that counts, that doesn't count because mm-hmm. you're a semifinalist. 
but I was rejected ultimately. But Your you professor, got- uh, Wilson, uh, Williford, Williford. Got the got Lex that, Williford. Lex Williford got that prize. Right, but you're semi-finalist. That's still like a thing. But that's rejection. That's not. It's okay, a, we're not going to argue semantics. You know, it's rejection. <laughs> but you're here now. Exactly. So, so yeah, I didn't actually ever submit the manuscript anywhere. I was asked for it. And then Isis gets the last question. What's the last question? Oh, the one I wrote. Um, how do you like your platanos cooked? Oh, Rank man. them. Rank them. Rank them. All right. Fritos is number one. Absolutely. No, go reverse order. What? What? Like the like the one least liked to the most liked. Oh. That's not what we're doing. Okay. <laughs> the least liked is um, we call them mofongo. They're rolled up, but I love them, but they're just really dry. They're rolled up plantains. They're mashed fried plantains. You fry the plantains, you mash them, you roll them up with bacon, and you fry them again. Um, yeah. Josh is like, Josh is like, Josh is like, I can get down with that. Josh. Uh, Yes. Yes. It's, it's 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 as good as it sounds. But the thing is, is like, you gotta like be chugging water with it. Cause it's like, it gets like really dry. And so, I mean, unless they make them, unless you eat them like super fresh, it gets really dry. So, but I still like it. It's really good. Um, but I only have like once a year. Um, then it would be reg. So I'm going to do like four versions. Cause I could, I could talk about platanos all day. Um, oh no. See? Shoot, there's five. Okay. Then it would be regular sweet fried plantains. Just platano maduros. Fried. After that. I Wait, love them. Back up. Regular sweet. Okay. So. Sweet. Maduros. Fried. Fried, fried maduros. Fried, fried maduros. Yeah. Fried maduros. Okay. Number, had this? Wait. Number four? You would rank that fourth? Or, you can't make judgment calls. Yes. Because the fifth one was. Why can't I? You, listen. <laughs> listen no, you have to understand no where I'm going with this. Hold okay, on. Wait, all right, wait, all right. wait to I, see where I'm going. I'm going to wait this. for the pinch line. Okay. Because okay. then third would be. Um, what is it called? Tostones. No, no, no. The ones that I really like. The majado. Platano. Uh, mangu? Mangu. Okay. Mangu. So Yo, I would just like to say that for the record, a Mexican was able to describe plantains. <laughs> right? Mangu. Write it down on your so calendar. Mangu is mashed plantains with uh, covered in onions and vinegar. And it's just like so delicious. It's like it's like how you make mashed potatoes, but like with for vinegar. plantains. Oh. Well, you put, no, you just put... You put a little bit on it. It's delicious. It's, okay. it's good. Then second... I'm going to, I'm going to get my first one is tostones, but the second, my mom makes fried maduros, the sweet, sweet plantains right. fried, but she makes it into a dessert. So she caramelizes them Ooh. with sugar and cinnamon. Does she put the ice cream on top? She doesn't, okay. but I should try that. So Why that's number two. Cause that's, that's like a legit, like, again, I only have, my mom only makes like once a year and I'm and I have to beg her for it. I'm like, can you make some like, you know, what caramelized is, what plantains? Call? What is that called? I don't know what it's called. It's called it's, delicious. It's called deliciousness. That's what it's called. It's called heaven in your mouth is what it's called. Um, and then first one is platanos. Cause just like fried plantains. Uh, tostones because you just like dip it's like a chip it's like it's like our version of the chip or, tor- or the tortilla it's our version of the tortilla you just like put it in with everything so it's amazing tostones really number one yeah why What's simplicity it? we're going to have to debate this oh wow I mean it would go between tostones and mangu but then I'm also like a big sweet tooth person yeah. so the maduros like fried maduros yeah are like uh-huh. what is up I used to really love them as a kid, and now I'm kind of like, meh, I'll do more stuff. I mean, you've already, like, my favorite book you already hate. Now you hate the way I like my plants. <laughs> you don't know me at all. I don't know. I know That's nothing funny. about you. How can we be friends? Uh, <laughs> folks, you have been listening to Equal, the Isis Hates, no, Jasmine Hates Isis show. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, so she's yay. also Cuban. I'm Dominican. We eat different kinds of beans, right. and different kinds of plantains. Oh, that's true. Too. Do you understand that? Right. Uh, that's true. Kay. That's true. Yeah. But I do well, love me some Dominican food. That's good stuff. Oh, it's great stuff. I know, right? Ooh. So thank you, Isis, for sitting yay. in and doing the interview. It was awesome. Thanks for inviting me. And thank you, Jasmine, for thank being you. an amazing guest. Can I share some details? Sure. So May 5th is the book launch for Night Blooming Jasmine, Personal Essays and Poetry. It's happening at the Houston Arts Alliance Gallery, which is attached to the Stages Theater um, at 6 to 8 p.m. There will be art. There will be a DJ, I hope. I'm counting on Lupe to set that up for me. I'm taking care of that. Food and beverage. <laughs> and just a good time. So it will be hosted by our own very own Houston Poet Laureate, Deborah Deep Mouton. She's going to be... Um, I'm seeing the evening and uh, yeah, May 5th, Houston Arts Alliance Gallery, 6 to 8. There's a Facebook event invite. You can catch me at www.jasminemendez, J-A-S-M-I-N-N-E-M-E-N-D-E-Z.com. And more details about all of it there. Uh, how do people get hold of you on other social medias? At Jasmine Mendez. My name always has two N's. No, that is not a mistake. Uh, N and E at Jasmine Mendez for Twitter, at Jasmine Mendez for Instagram and Facebook. All of the social media things. That's awesome. So succinct. All of it. She's, like, she's my organized. But please be sure you add the extra N. I am not the other Jasmine. Because right. that other Jasmine has. Has a different career. Oh, I'm going to look that up. No, 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 no. <laughs> Mujer. Jasmine I mean, Mendez with one yeah, N it has cool. a different career. Oh. So Ooh. she's into other art forms. Mm. <laughs> Adult. <laughs> Art forms. Igla after dark. Art forms. That's the other interview person. Wrapping it up. Yeah, right. So you've been listening to Inkwell. Thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, I would say tune in, but this ain't the radio. So just stay tuned. Press play. Uh, We'll hit you up with the next episode uh, whenever it's ready. Thanks for being around. Thank you guys. And you. And shout out to my publisher, Arte Publico Press. They're awesome. You can also get the book, pre-order it now on their website. And we will talk to you guys another time. Adios. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Inkwell, a collaboration between Tintero Projects and Imprint in Houston, Texas, a city with a wellspring of literary activity. Inkwell is hosted by Jasmine and Lupe Mendez of Tintero Projects, produced by Kristen Flack, Rich Levy, and Krupa Parikh of Imprint, and recorded, engineered, and edited by Josh Walker with 150 Media House. Inkwell is made possible by a grant from the City of Houston through the Houston Arts Alliance and Imprint's other generous supporters. For more information, visit imprinthouston.org or tinteroprojects.wordpress.com. For feedback on this and future episodes, email inkwell at imprinthouston.org. We also invite listeners near and far to attend our readings and workshops. Until next time, keep reading and keep writing.